28. Our study today is entitled simply The Kingdom of God. We read several weeks ago when Paul was in Ephesus that he felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. Paul had a desire to take the gospel everywhere, but especially to very significant places. He had been in some of the most significant cities in the Roman Empire. Now he wanted to go to the capital. He had ministered and had established mission bases in provincial capitals. Now he wanted to be at the heart of the Roman Empire. I must go on to Rome. Let me ask you this. What are you ambitious to do for the Lord? Where do you want to go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? A couple of weeks ago, we saw the Apostle Paul in Jerusalem. He needed to go to Jerusalem first. But when he went to the temple, it created a confrontation between the Jews and him. And we read that the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by the Jews. He ordered the troops to go down and take him take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. And then we read this statement. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. And now we understand that behind Paul's desire to take the gospel to Rome, to visit the church in Rome, and then to expand his mission beyond that to other parts of the empire. Behind his own desire was the will of God. God wanted the Apostle Paul in Rome. God intended for the Apostle Paul to give testimony to the highest authorities in the Roman Empire, even Caesar himself. The Apostle Paul did not know how that was going to play out. You and I don't know how the future is going to unfold for us. But this we do know. God is in control of the future. The Apostle Paul, by his own volition, would have purchased a ticket on a ship to travel to Rome. But God was going to order the footsteps of Paul in a completely different way. So that the gospel of Jesus Christ was shared on a much broader spectrum than if he had simply boarded a ship to go to Rome. It was a long while before Paul would get from Jerusalem to Rome, over three years in reality. For two of those years, Paul was held in custody by the Roman administration for the province of Syria, there in Caesarea. 
While he was there, the Apostle Paul shared his testimony numerous times. He was able to share it with numerous officials. He shared it with two different governors. He shared it with a king and a queen. He shared it with ordinary people. This gave Paul the opportunity to reach to the highest levels of government in that area. Paul was interrogated a number of times. And finally, when one of the governors suggested that Paul be taken back to Jerusalem to stand trial there, Paul knowing what would happen if he ended up back in Jerusalem, appealed his right as a Roman citizen to speak directly to Caesar. Paul did not want to take a step back. God had said that you are going to go to Rome. And Paul knew that his life was in danger if he went back to Jerusalem. And that that was nothing less than an attack of the adversary to subvert the plan of God that Paul testified of Jesus Christ in Rome. And so Paul asserted his right. He appealed directly to Caesar. Paul was placed in the custody of a captain of the Imperial Regiment. And accompanied by Luke and another one of the brothers, Aristarchus, the journey began to Rome. So they boarded a ship and went to Sidon. And then from there embarked and went to Myra. On Myra, the centurion allowed Paul to spend some time with the believers there, encourage them, build them up in their faith. And then they boarded a grain ship from Alexandria to travel to Rome. It was going to be a long journey. You see the arrows on the map. Luke tells us how a northeaster struck the storm or northeaster storm struck the ship. And that ship was ultimately lost in the storm and then wrecked on the reefs at the island of Malta. No life was lost. There was an opportunity for the Apostle Paul to minister on that island. People were healed. They were set free. He testified to the highest Roman official there. And then the trip continued. It would take an entire year before they arrived at Rome. And when they arrived there, the Apostle Paul was allowed to rent a house and be guarded by a soldier. And that became his mission base for the next two years. Well, the Apostle Paul doesn't waste any time before he begins to testify about Jesus Christ. We read this in Acts 28, verses 23 and 30. They arranged to meet Paul, speaking of the Jews, on a certain day. He had sent out word to the Jews, and he had called them to come to the home that he had rented and there to meet with him. And they came in even larger numbers than those he had invited to the place where he was staying. 
He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. We read at the end of the chapter, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note some important things in your Bible. First of all, we read that Paul explained to them about the kingdom of God. We read that he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And then we read a second time that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, what is the theme of Paul's conversation? What is the heart of his witness? What does he share with these Jews? Now, these Jews were not believers. He called them together and began to explain to them about the kingdom of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a couple of things that stand out to us here. At the heart of the gospel message are truths about the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is inseparable from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you and I know that Jesus is the king. But to those to whom Paul was speaking, that truth was not readily apparent. And so he is presenting to them the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Note that he endeavored to persuade them from the law of Moses and the prophets. He didn't have New Testament scriptures as you and I do. He used the Old Testament, the law of Moses, the writings of the prophets. Now, if you and I go back from the end of Acts to the very beginning, we read these words. Luke is writing, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? Luke's account of the work of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church begins and ends with this emphasis on the kingdom of God. So once again, we understand that at the heart of the gospel is the message about the kingdom. And at the heart of this message about the kingdom is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus and the kingdom of God are part and parcel together. We can't separate one from the other. Well, let's keep going back. In Matthew chapter 4, at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, we read, From that time on, meaning 
after his temptation in the wilderness and after he settled down in a particular area, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let me pause for just a moment and say that the terms kingdom of God are used prolifically throughout the Gospels, but Matthew specifically uses kingdom of heaven, whereas it is more literal, kingdom of the heavens. The two are synonymous. Whether we're talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the terms indicate the same. So Jesus, in Matthew's words, uses repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. If we turn to Luke, if we turn to Mark especially, we will read the terms kingdom of God much more than we will read kingdom of heaven. But from the very beginning of his ministry, the message of Jesus, the subject of his sermons, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Matthew tells us that he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So let's take note of a few details here. First of all, the message of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What does the word repent mean? It means to change direction. What is Jesus saying to people? You are going in the wrong direction. You need to turn towards something else. You are living under another kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven is here. Turn to it. Embrace it. We also read that Jesus went throughout Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So what else do we learn? We learn that the kingdom of heaven means good news. And that the kingdom of heaven brings a reversal to what people are experiencing. That the kingdom of heaven means that there is healing for people, every disease and every sickness among the people. We go on to read that people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and what did he do? He healed them. When the kingdom of God comes, it reverses the lifestyles of people. It calls them to repent. It also reverses what they have been experiencing and what they have been living under. The kingdom of heaven is very different from what people have been experiencing 
as they have been part of another influence and power in their lives. And Jesus, when he comes, he comes with greater power. Power to heal. Power to set free. Power to give a new life to people. Well, earlier in that chapter, after his temptation, we read, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went back and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebedee and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now there's something very significant here in what Matthew tells us. Jesus went and lived in a certain place, in a certain geographical area. Why? To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And then Matthew gives us what the prophet Isaiah had said. Now Isaiah had prophesied over 600 years earlier. His ministry was to the kingdom of Judea before the exile when they were conquered by the Babylonians. And he had given this prophecy that Jesus now fulfilled by relocating from Nazareth and going to live in Capernaum. And that relocation had certain spiritual ramifications. It was this, the people living in darkness would see a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light would dawn. Well, let's go back to this prophecy when it was originally given by Isaiah. We go back to Isaiah chapter 9. And here we read the words that we just read in Matthew. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What brought about this change? What was the source of this great light? Well, Isaiah goes on to tell us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. His reign, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What do we understand as we read this? And why did the Apostle Paul bring the Jews together when he arrived in Jerusalem? Why did he speak to them about the coming of the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This reason, deep within, 
the Hebrew scriptures was this expectation of a coming king. A king who would bring a kingdom. A kingdom who would, that would bring light and blessing and peace. And this king was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul wanted the Jews to understand that the kingdom had arrived. The king was Jesus. The gospel that he was proclaiming, the gospel of Jesus Christ, was in reality the fulfillment of every prophecy that God had made through the Old Testament prophets, that there would be a coming kingdom who would bring the kingdom of God, and that kingdom would be a kingdom of salvation, righteousness, justice, and peace. Jesus was the king. He taught his disciples, as well as the crowds, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, and speaking to the apostles just before his ascension, he is again teaching them the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God would be a mosaic that would be prolific throughout the teaching and the writings of the apostles. The apostle Paul would use that motif as he wrote to the Colossian church. And he would say, giving joyful thanks to the Father, who qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Think for a moment the Apostle Paul sitting there with those many Jews that had come to hear him from morning till evening, he would explain to them passages like we've just read from Isaiah. He would show them that Jesus was the king who was coming. He told them the work that the king had come to do. People have always had many misconceptions about the kingdom of God. The disciples did. Even after Jesus had explained to them so much about the kingdom, the kingdom of God, as they were going out to the mountain just moments before his ascension, the disciples asked Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they associated the kingdom of God with primarily Israel and Israel having the most prominent place among the nations. But Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that my Father has established. But you are to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Even today, people have so many misconceptions about the kingdom of God. And they misapply it to geographical, parochial, or demographic settings. But the kingdom of heaven at its heart is the message about Jesus Christ and what God has done through him 
on behalf of those who were in the dominion of darkness. We understand this truth as we look at the words that the Apostle Paul has written. There is a dominion of darkness and there is a kingdom of light. And the kingdom of light belongs to the Son of God. And the Son of God came with the good news that you and I could have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. The Apostle John, as he wrote what we know as the revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is given the privilege of seeing scenes that are taking place in heaven. And in Revelation chapter 5, he described a scene before the throne. And there he saw the lamb that he recognized as the Lord Jesus Christ. And surrounding the throne, a song was being sung. And this was the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God. Persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. This is the ultimate outcome of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The work of God rescuing people, changing the direction of their lives, freeing them from the tyranny of the dominion of darkness, and bringing them into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Ultimately, for you and I who have experienced the redemption, the forgiveness of sins, we will reign as part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ forever and ever serving our God. You see, among many people, among many Christians, there's a belief that the kingdom of God means great benefit to me. Benefit financially. I will prosper. I will be wealthy. I will have a good life. But it doesn't mean anything about I at all. It means that God has qualified us that we might serve his purposes so that others would experience this redemption and have this kind of future. The Apostle Paul was not bringing to those Jews a story that their aspirations as a nation and their anticipation for blessing above all people was going to be fulfilled, but rather something greater that the king of heaven had come and he had invaded the kingdom of darkness to bring his rule, to bring his blessing, to bring eternal life. And that he wanted people from every tribe and language and nation to be part of his kingdom. Well, I want to share with you over the next few moments what I am calling Kingdom Theology 101. The New Testament is full of truths concerning the kingdom of God. 
through the gospel, through the writings of the apostles, and then again in Revelation. But I want to share with you a number of things this morning that are the fundamental, the beginning points, the foundational understanding of the kingdom of God. These are the things that I think the Apostle Paul would have shared. He wanted to free the minds of these Jews from thinking that the kingdom of God just related to their nation. That God was only going to give salvation to Israel. He wanted them to understand that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, whoever anywhere believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. So Kingdom Theology 101. First of all, there are only two kingdoms. There are only two kingdoms. They are invisible, they are supernatural, and they strive for power and control over the mindset, the behavior, and the destiny of human beings. These two kingdoms are the antithesis of each other. They are opposite. They contradict one another. But these two kingdoms reflect the nature of their kings. Light, darkness. Righteousness, evil. Justice, injustice. Blessing, cursing. Life, death. So as you and I look around, it is easy for us to identify whether it's in the lifestyle of someone, whether it's in what we see happening in locations, the way that we see people living, whether we see peace or danger, whether we see destruction or safety, easy for us to identify what is the result of the kingdom of darkness and what is the result of the kingdom of light. As we watch how people are living, their mindsets, their behavior, it isn't difficult for us to understand who is under the influence of the kingdom of darkness, who is under the influence of the kingdom of light. Everyone without exception, everyone everywhere in all the world, everyone including you and me, is born into the kingdom of darkness and evil, possesses the nature of the kingdom of darkness and is destined to share in his future of defeat and death. It doesn't take very long for a newborn child growing up to begin to have a vocabulary that includes the word no. And everyone who has disobeyed God beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, has said no. And it is the nature of the adversary who one day in heaven to God said, no, I am not going to go your way any longer. It's going to be my way. Every one of us is born with that nature 
and that inclination within us. No one can escape the dominion of darkness, period. I can't, you can't, no one can't. And nothing less than a gracious act of the almighty king of righteousness can deliver one from its power. That's why the apostle Paul said to the Colossians, joyfully giving thanks to God who rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Jesus, the king of righteousness and life, came to invade the kingdom of death and reverse the effects of the dark kingdom on the lives and the destiny of each person. We see it immediately as Jesus began his ministry. He proclaims the good news. A change has come. He invades the kingdom of darkness. People who are demon-possessed, people who are afflicted with disease as a result of sin and a broken world, people who are paralyzed and helpless, people who cannot do anything for themselves, people who are experiencing the result of sin and slow death. Jesus, the King of life, comes, invades the kingdom of darkness, begins to reverse the effects, begins to take back the lives and the destinies of people who have been under the authority and the tyranny of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus said to Nicodemus, I tell you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians and said, once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you follow the ways of the God of this world, the prince of the kingdom, of the power of the air. But God who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Jesus Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You see, when one is rescued from the dominion of darkness, one experiences a change of heart, receives a new nature, and possesses a new destiny, eternal life. It's not difficult to distinguish those who are part of the kingdom of darkness and those who are part of the kingdom of light. Those who are part of the kingdom of darkness want to do certain things and live a certain way. Those who are part of the kingdom of light have a change of heart, a change of nature, a change of desires. They want to live to please God. They want to live in relationship with Jesus Christ. They want to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and not one who belongs to the kingdom of darkness here on earth. So there is no mistaking those who belong to the kingdom of light. They live by a different set of values and they seek the priorities and the purposes of their king. And so Jesus, for example, said to his listeners who had gathered around the disciples there on the mountain, you have heard it said Love those who love you. 
But I tell you, you love your enemies, and you do good to them. You bless those who curse you. You lend to them, not expecting anything in return. Then you will be like the Most High. For he is generous to both the wicked and the righteous. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount is all about the values, the culture, the lifestyle of the kingdom of God. And how one will live when they possess that change of heart and that new nature. Jesus would end by telling a story and describing a man who built his house by the beach on the sand and one who built his house upon a ledge of rock. Both experienced storms. The storm undermined the beach sand that was under the house by the sea and it collapsed. But the house that was built on the rock could not be moved. And Jesus made this distinction. The house that stands firm is the person who hears my words and puts them into practice. The house that falls is the person who does not listen to my words and does not put them in practice. The Bible also goes on to teach us that the kingdom of darkness and evil will bitterly oppose those who belong to the kingdom of light and righteousness. We have watched the Apostle Paul experiencing this all through his ministry. Again and again, his message has been opposed. His life has been threatened. His time in Rome has been preceded by one incarceration after another, one dangerous situation after another. And as he wrote in numerous letters, he attributed it to the work of the evil one, opposing him and opposing the gospel. And those people, even of his own background, who were used by the evil one to oppose him and to threaten his life. He wrote to Timothy toward the end of his life, and he said, you know all the persecutions that I went through. In the towns that I visited where you first met me, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. But I tell you this, Timothy, everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. But Timothy, endure hardship as a good soldier. Jesus wrote to the seven churches in the province of Asia, and he ended each one of the words that he said to those churches by saying, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. It is by standing firm and making no compromise with the kingdom of darkness that you and I will overcome and we will be honored by our king. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will give a new name. No one else will know that name except him and me. To him who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me and reign with me. The one who overcomes will be honored 
by their king. Ultimately, the Bible shows us that the kingdom of darkness and all those who are allied with it, as we read in Revelation chapter 20, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life will be catastrophically defeated by the king of kings and subjected to eternal punishment, while those who are true to the king of life will share in his eternal future. This again is part of the message that the Apostle Paul would have been sharing with the Jews there. He did not want anyone to miss out on the opportunity to be part of the kingdom of light and the destiny of those who followed the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Apostle Paul would experience those Jews resisting his message, arguing with him, and then turning away. And so he would say, I brought the message to you, but you wouldn't receive it. What the prophet spoke about you were right. You hear, but you don't listen. You see, but you don't perceive. Your heart is hardened and callous. I will take the gospel to the Gentiles. You see, God wants the gospel to go to everyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of the king and his kingdom. And he has commanded us to take this news everywhere to everyone. And there is nothing more important to him. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't be like the pagans. They run around looking how much money they can make. Looking at houses that they want to buy and clothes that they want for their wardrobe. They worry about life. They think about the now, but I tell you, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. See, everything else is secondary in life. What really matters is the king, his kingdom, the message of the kingdom, the work of the kingdom. And when we stand before him, if we want to hear well done, good and faithful servant, it will be because like Paul, we didn't waste any time. We didn't think I will do it tomorrow. But we searched out every opportunity to tell the good news about Jesus Christ to everyone that we possibly can. All other kingdoms, all other power structures, everything else that people think valuable in life is one day going to be all swept away. The great missionary C.T. Studd, who gave up a big inheritance, gave up a great future in sports, to go to China, then India, and ultimately to the Congo, leaving his family behind in England, would say at the end of his life as he died on the banks of the river, the Congo River, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.
May you and I understand like the Apostle Paul. When it comes to the end of time, there's only going to be one kingdom and one king. May you and I make it our life's ambition to honor that king and to do our king's work, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere so that people can know Jesus and be rescued from the dominion of darkness and experience his blessing, the blessing of eternal life. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you today for this opportunity to be in your word, but most of all, to know you. We thank you that you rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We thank you that we are no longer under the tyranny and the destiny of Satan. We thank you that our hearts are not hardened, our hearts are not ignorant to Jesus. We thank you that we know that we have eternal life, our sins are forgiven, and that you are with us. Father, we pray that you would help us as the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica to live in a way that is worthy of the King who is coming. We pray that we would be faithful to the message and the work of the kingdom. And we pray that you would use us to see people brought out of darkness and ignorance and lostness to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that our hearts and our desires will not compromise or be affiliated with this world in any way, but in every way, may we live lives that are set apart, that follow our King and live for his purposes and desires. May people truly know that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We thank you once again for your word today. May it give light to our eyes, understanding to our hearts and our minds, and enable us to live for your purposes, your honor, and your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.